This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Yeah, about six minutes after four o'clock, and we are ready to uh, to rock. Hope you are as well. Liam Moody is in the chair tonight, uh, taking over your questions and your comments. Uh, bring them on. Phone lines are open. We're ready for you over the next hour for you to have questions about your uh, your workplace, your employment, your boss, your severance, uh, constructive dismissals, layoffs, anything. Bring it on. If you've ever had questions, maybe you're asking for a friend or a family member. This is a uh, live radio show, so the phone lines are uh, for your Convenient, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You want to reach out and drop an email over during the hour or any time for that matter. That's simply help at employmenthour.com. The first place you go, as you know, if you're one of our regular listeners to this uh, this broadcast every uh, Sunday afternoon, Severance Pay Calculator, that is the place to find what you are properly owed as far as severance. It's a good uh, it's a good launching point before you even make a phone call to either Lior or uh, Leah and a member of their team at the law firm severancepaycalculator.com. So all that said, my friend, uh, what do you got going on for the week that was? Uh, well, I have a couple of things going on that I wanted to mm-hmm. to chat about this week. Um, I have a an opening this week. I was supposed to go to trial and it settled last minute as 98.8888 files. <sighs> Uh, do uh, they always settle before going into before even seeing the inside of a courtroom? So, I had some time to think about some uh, of the common things that have come up, some of the bigger issues that have come up over the last week. But before we dive in, if this is your first time listening to the show, um, you know, just just to remind everybody that I'm an employment lawyer here in Vancouver. Uh, I have employer clients. I like to keep myself fresh on both sides of the argument, but I work mostly for and on behalf of employees. And I help employees and employers with all manner of employment issues that can come up in the workplace. Um, You know, John listed a couple at the beginning of the show, terminations, new contracts, severance entitlements, leaves of absences, harassment, anything. And this show, The Employment Hour, is dedicated to exactly these issues, helping people through them and providing what I think and I hope is some much needed information to uh, to parties in an employment relationship generally so that you know exactly what your rights are and what an employer's obligations are and when you may need a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So if you have any questions or concerns, want to know what you're entitled to, what your rights are, give us a call over the next hour. This is, as John said, this is a live show. It's a safe space. Uh, and John and I would be happy to help you through it. So uh, the week that was, like I said, I uh, had some time this week, this past week, now that I wasn't doing trial prep, to, to really spend some time uh, with uh, with a couple of files that needed to be brought to a conclusion. Okay. And there was one in particular where it was a gentleman who had been working for a company for 18 years, and a, his employer was acquired by another company. And this happens much more frequently than I think actually a lot of people realize. Um, sometimes it happens without you even knowing it. But hmm. in this case, they did because it was a it was a full-on asset purchase, uh, which means that he was technically terminated by the employer. And in this case, the new company, the acquiring company, uh, gave him an offer to come and work for them. It was the same position. It was actually better pay, but there were major changes to other terms of his employment. First and foremost, in the 18 years that he had been there, this was the first contract that he had ever received. 
um, and it was, I think it was about seven, maybe eight or nine pages. Uh, it limited his termination entitlements to the absolute minimum that you can in British Columbia. It changed his vacation entitlements and it allowed him to be laid off at any time. Those were, those were some of the wow. substantial ones. So he called me to review the contract for him, which, which I did and I was happy to and I'm glad he did. And I encouraged him to go back to the company to, um, to just ask some questions, to, to have a better understanding of where this contract was coming from, what was negotiable, what was meant by certain language. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the, the new company just says, sorry, you're not interested. Uh, best of luck in the future. Wow. Offer was completely pulled from the table. So I immediately contacted the original employer, so the one being acquired, to say, you know, there's no job on the table anymore for him and now you owe him severance. And the employer tried to take the position that, you know, no, we don't. He should have accepted that offer. That because, you know, by asking questions about the contract, essentially they were arguing that he had rejected the offer and that this was unreasonable, that he should have just accepted the new offer at face value and that because he didn't do that, he had caused his own loss. He had caused his own period of unemployment and that they, the company, shouldn't pay him anything as Mm. a result. And, you know, I feel like even without thinking about the legal principles behind this, right, most people can understand that if you think it through to its logical conclusion as being a fairly ridiculous stance to take. Imagine if that were the law, that you couldn't ask questions about a contract that was put in front of you. That would disincentivize people from asking questions, from getting clarity of terms. It would disincentivize people from getting independent legal advice. Mm -hmm. And there's already such a power imbalance in the employer and employee relationship, especially at the time when you're being offered a job, uh, that, you know, inserting that kind of principle, espousing that sort of principle would only just further it and make it worse. So we sued. Uh, and we, I started pursuing the matter aggressively and the company had to defend because we had started the lawsuit. And mm-hmm. so they, they eventually and finally hired a lawyer. And importantly, they hired a lawyer who, uh, has some specialty and expertise in employment law. Uh, and then we ended up settling for 15 months of severance. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously the lawyer wasn't going to explicitly agree with me, never in a million years, but you can take from that settlement amount that there was an implied understanding between us uh, as two colleagues in the same area of law that the new contract changed the term sufficiently enough that he could legally turn it down. Right. And and good for this guy in this situation because we actually found out that after a lot of his colleagues who had accepted the offer and signed on to new packages with limiting termination clause, they were actually fired for pennies on the dollar because if this guy had just signed that contract Right. He would have been able to be terminated for eight weeks. And that's what a lot of his long-term colleagues were terminated for. So, yes, I mean, it was stressful for this guy for a short period of time. He had that offer pulled. You know, he had to deal with a lawyer. And we try to make it as painless as possible. But sometimes, huh. you know, it's it's not always pleasant. But he ended up with 15 months. He ended up with, you know, an, a far greater amount than his colleagues did that um, that had simply signed the contract. So, you know, the takeaways from this situation are, you know, if you're offered the same job on same terms, okay, if you're offered the same position, same pay with all the similar terms in a contract, then this company would have been correct. He would have been obligated to take that position. 
But if you're offered a different job or a similar job on different terms, you may not have to accept that. You, you can if you'd like to. There are all sorts of personal reasons why you may wish to accept a similar job on different terms yep. or a different job. Um, you know, you may be looking to retire, looking to scale down to part-time. Uh, but legally speaking, you may not have to accept it. That may not be a legal obligation. And then you can pursue your previous employer for severance. And of course, if you're not offered any job from the acquiring company, uh, then you're just owed severance from the original employer to begin with. And, and always, if there's a contract put in front of you for the first time, for the seventh time, it doesn't matter how many times, anytime there's a contract put in front of you, that is something that you should and need, yeah. I would say, to have reviewed by a lawyer before you sign off on it. Still got a couple minutes here. What, uh, what else you got going on? Yeah, the, I just wanted to briefly talk about uh, an employer client that I have actually okay. who recently called me to, uh, because he wanted to, transfer uh, an employee into an independent contractor, yep. which is something that we can absolutely do. Uh, and lots of employers do. I mean, it, it can vastly reduce an employer's liability. There's a lot of reasons why an employee want, would like to do it as well. Uh, but employers like to do it because it takes them out of the Employment Standards Act. Yeah. So there's no minimum termination clause. There's no entitlement to overtime or statutory holiday pay or even vacation entitlement. So be aware of that if you ever sign on to be mm -hmm. an independent contractor. Right. Uh, but simply calling them contractors is not going to do it. You can't just put somebody on an independent contracting agreement and think that that is sufficient to uphold that characterization at law. Uh, it's about ultimately what that working relationship looks like and how it plays out and not so much what you decide to call the relationship even if both parties agree. Even if the employee says, yeah, I mean, this is actually what I want. I want to be an independent contractor. If the working relationship doesn't reflect that, then no court is going to find that that individual is an independent contractor. Mm. And so. Uh, the two main things that you want to look at as an employer are control and, and integration. And just very briefly, if you are a worker who has no control over the hours in your day, what kind of clients you work with, what your day-to-day -day duties are, uh, you know, your, your, all of your tools are, are your own, um, you know, then that is a situation in which you are more likely to be uh, an employee. Sorry, if the tools are the companies, then that is a situation where you are more likely to be characterized as an employee. Yes. Uh, same thing if you are very integrated within the company. So if you uh, go to holiday parties and if you have an office space and you're given a computer and business cards and a t-shirt with the company logo on it, the more integrated you are, if you're part of performance reviews and board meetings and things like that, all of those things together conspire to make somebody legally an employee. And if those things are all present, it doesn't matter what how many times you have it Sorry. stamped on paper. It doesn't matter if they wear a t-shirt every day that says, I'm an independent contractor. Legally speaking, they're still going to be an employee. And then you could be on the hook for a lot of back taxes. So always important as an employee or an employer um, who are trying to play with that characterization at law to speak to a lawyer first. Got Leah Moody in, of course, this week, and uh, email address as well, help at employmenthour.com. And if you've never tried it, severancepaycalculator.com. There's a good baseline number for finding out what you're really owed, and it'll be a lot more than what you think or what is that on severance offer that you just received uh, Friday afternoon. I guarantee you that. Yeah, phone lines are open, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Bring on the phone calls. It's a call-in show. You have questions about your job or something about severance or 
you know, someone told you, no, no, it's a week per year severance. It's all you get. It's not true. Trust me, it's not true. And it's uh, part of the reason why we get rid of the myths that are surrounding this topic for so many years and the reason why do the, uh, we do this show. But changes in the workplace, you want to talk about that, hey, Leah? Yeah, we started chatting about it last week as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But... You know, I thought that it was such an important topic and we didn't get through the whole thing um, because we did have phone calls um, that, uh, you know, we're always, it's always going to be the priority on the show and we're happy to take them on whenever they come in. Uh, but I thought that, that, uh, that we'd go over them a- again really briefly. So, you know, changes in, in the workplace. Um, yeah. You know, one of the first things that we covered last time was whether or not an employer can even make changes right. uh, in the workplace, can make changes to somebody's terms of employment. And, and the very quick answer there is that they can, but only under very specific specific circumstances. Um, the first being that there's a specific contractual right to do so. So the uh, company, the employer has reserved the right in a contract, in an employment agreement um, that, that says we can change where you work, we can change your duties, we can change, uh, you know, we can change your pay even, sure. you know, in your that hours. sort of, yeah, exactly. Your hours, that's a big one too. Um, and in any situation like that, that's, that's generally a situation in which a, an employer can make changes to the terms of employment. The, another one is, is when the term is considered non-essential. Uh, and by that, I mean anything that doesn't really go to the heart of the employment relationship, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, probably still a pretty vague way of describing it. But um, you know, if, if all of a sudden you're being asked to come in a half hour earlier, um, you're, you've had a, a small amount of a reduction in hourly pay, um, your benefits plan has changed such that okay. you have $250 in dental benefits instead of 300 you know, things that are fairly small, uh, and don't, don't strike at the, essential element of what the employment relationship is, um, that is also something that a company has has carte blanche to change. Um, the issue arises when, uh, when it's an essential term or when there is no contractual right to do so. Okay, so what happens when they do have a contractual right? Is there any boundary? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, that just because you have a contract that says that they can make a change doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that they can. Um, number one, that contract in and of itself may not be enforceable. So if you signed it after you started work and you didn't get any consideration for it, if there's another term or provision in there that renders the contract unenforceable, um, then that is not something that can be held against you in, in mm-hmm. any way. And then the employer can't make that change even if you technically have a signed agreement that says that. So, you know, always a good idea to have uh, to run that contract by a lawyer before you just throw up your hands and say, well, I, you know, I guess this is in writing and they can do this, so I'm just going to let this go. Um, you know, another thing that I that I, we spoke about briefly last week, John, is that if you are an employer uh, who is trying to reserve the right to make a change in an employment relationship, I really think it's important for the company to be specific about what it is that they're trying to reserve the right to change. So you don't want to be, in my view, in a situation where you have just sort of this this blanket clause at the beginning of a contract or even right. worse, buried on page four that says, we reserve the right to make changes to your employment period. Um, I 
I don't know that a court would necessarily find that there's a meeting of the minds between the employer and the employee such that that can be held against the employee. Hmm. I think that if you're the employer and you think, you know what, um, we're, we're not sure about the viability of this business, so we want to give ourselves the chance to reduce hours or lay people off, um, then that is something that you should be specific about in your contract. If you're a company that that's you know has undergone a lot of restructuring in the past and may be you know still in the middle of that process and planning on going a lot of restructuring in the future, then I think that you want to be very specific about having a provision in your contract that says that you're reserving the right to change duties from time to time. And that can include a demotion and not cause a constructive dismissal. So the the be all and end all of this is that um, that just because it's written in your contract doesn't necessarily mean that an employer can make that change. But if it is specific, if that is the change that they want to make, and if it's an enforceably signed contract, then that employer can make that change uh, to the term of employment. Questions, comments, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell to call through for the remaining time of the show. you got plenty, about a half hour, so feel free to call us. With your questions or comments, Leah is here to answer. You mentioned, you know, changes in the contract midstream of working. I'm um, not going to hold up, hold water without consideration. What is considered consideration? I mean, is it something like a new car or a pack of Skittles? I mean, is there a, is there, you know, is there a, <laughs> a middle ground here as far as what's acceptable? Yeah, there's this really annoying analogy in law school. It's, it's the peppercorn theory. It's that it's that you all you need is a peppercorn in order for it to be consideration. And I mean, like, who even thinks about peppercorns? It's such a right. weird thing. It's like the 1800s. To, yeah, exactly. Like you think that would have been updated, but yeah. it is the law, and it is yeah. a bunch of lawyers. So no wonder we're stuck centuries behind the times. Um, but essentially, it's it's anything. It is consideration is anything that you would not have otherwise had the right or entitlement to. So uh, a lot of companies, when they introduce a new contract, they try to do it at the same time as a performance evaluation uh, where they're giving raises or bonuses. And that is that is often a good idea, or I should say it's the path to the right idea, right? right? It's, it's the right kind of thinking. But if we're talking about an employee who has a contractual right to raises, a contractual right to a bonus, or even a history of always having received a raise or a bonus, then that is arguably something that the employee can say that they were entitled to already, that that's something that they were going to get at that moment of the performance review, regardless of whether or not there was a new contract in front of them. So what the employer has to prove is whether it's a peppercorn or right. a Tim Hortons gift card or $20 or $1,000 or $10,000, that it's something that the employee wasn't entitled to receive and that it works to their benefit. It can also be a, a potential benefit as well, though you have to be a bit careful there. So it can be enrollment in a new benefits plan, or it can be enrollment in a new bonus plan, or a share a share purchase plan. Um, anything that can stand to be of beneficial value to the employee can constitute valuable consideration uh, in exchange for the contract. Can the employee say no? To, to signing the new contract? Correct. Oh, yes. 
they absolutely can. And okay. most of the time, I would strongly recommend that they do. Um, yep. it, you know, at least until they get they get legal advice. You know, certainly don't sign the contract on the spot, um, and have it reviewed by a lawyer. And the beauty is, is that you already have a job. You know, presuming that we're talking about a contract. Uh, introduce midstream, yes. you already have a job. So if they're trying to introduce a contract for the first time that has a limiting termination provision in it, that has a, um, you know, the first time they're trying to reserve the right to change the terms of your employment, if that's the situation, you can simply just say you're not going to sign it. And sure, I mean, you are, you are technically running the risk that they're going to let you go. But number one, you don't need to give an employer a reason to let you go. They could let you go anyway, and perhaps they're putting you on the new contract because they're planning on letting you go and they want to reduce their liability and exposure. And, And that's the second point, is that even if you do end up signing the contract, that's not job security. They can go ahead and terminate you weeks later. You know, they might be exposing themselves to a bad faith claim, and that's never a good idea. But, um, you know, that that's a consideration as, as well, that if you say no, then they've got to then terminate you and pay you your full papa severance. You sure are. It's still plenty of time for you and your phone calls. You have questions about your job, your employment, your boss. Severance, bring it on, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You also have the option of uh, dropping us an email, rather. That's help at employmenthour.com. Changes in the workplace, essential terms or conditions of employment. What counts as those? So an essential term or condition of employment, and the reason why this is important is because um, your employer cannot make a change to an essential term or condition of employment unless they have the contractual right to do so. Uh, So you want to know what counts as an essential term or condition of employment. And generally, those are going to be the things that pretty much define what the employment relationship is. So I would say, you know, the most obvious is your job title, right? You are hired in a specific capacity for a specific role. And if they go ahead, if the company goes ahead and changes that on you unilaterally, then that alters the entire employment relationship. It's completely different. Um, so I would say the most obvious one is your job title your and your duties as well. You don't have to, uh, your job duties would also be considered uh, essential terms or conditions of your employment. Mm-hmm. Um, your pay, of course, is a big one. And, and not just your pay, but all components of your remuneration. So whether or not you're entitled to a bonus, whether or not you're enrolled in benefits, uh, things, things like that, where you're working. Uh, is a really big one as well. So the location of your employment, um, those those are, I think, the the big, I can't even remember how many I listed, but let's say the big five, the right. big five essential terms or conditions of employment. So what are an employee's options if the employer tries to make changes to an essential term of employment? We talked about the other things that might be peripheral, but these are these are pretty essential, right? Yeah. So if, if an employer tries to make any kind of change to an essential term or condition mm-hmm. of an employment, um, but they do not, and they do not have the contractual right to do so, then an employee has to make an election. So if you get a letter or if you have a meeting where you're told that some big change is coming down the pipeline, you have to decide whether or not that's something that you can or want to accept. 
again, I mean, we spoke very briefly about this um, a little bit earlier on the show, but there are all sorts of personal reasons why you may wish to accept a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your family might be interested in relocating to Kelowna, um, or you might be willing to take a pay cut and, and a reduction in hours, uh, or to step back on your on your job responsibilities. Um, you know. Perhaps, perhaps you've been working for the company for for decades, and it's just it's something you know you consider yourself a loyalist to the company, and it's just something that you feel is important to do because you understand the business reasons behind that decision. Um, right. I, I I get that as well, but if you if you don't want to accept that 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 change, if you don't want to um, elect to continue with this change to the essential term of your employment then your option is to object to it and and the objection is important because it usually ends up in essentially resigning in you saying i don't i signed on to be a sales manager that's what you hired me as and you're now trying to make me a sales associate that's purely commission-based right I don't accept that. I'm treating my employment as a sales manager as having been terminated. And you now have to, you company now have to pay me severance. So as an employee in that situation, those, those, those are your essential options. You can either accept the change or you can construe it as a termination of your employment and claim your severance. Either way, you want to make that election fairly quickly. You do have a small amount of time to uh, to take it for a test drive to try it out. Yep. Uh, you know, if if you want to see how you like working uh, two days a week instead of five or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be, you can you can see how you like it. Sure. Um, but if if it ends up not being for you, if you can't make ends meet, if it's if it's humiliating uh, for any number of reasons, then you still have some time to elect to construe it as a termination. But generally speaking, I would say that you know I wouldn't push it much, much past four weeks. Certainly, would not push it past eight because then you start to run the risk of the company being able to say, "Look, you you worked in this role for so long, or you you know you accepted this role in this new town for so long that we are now entitled to take that as acquiescence to right. the okay. change, as you agreeing impliedly." to that change and you can no longer sue us you can no longer take the position that we owe you severance 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell to call in carl thanks for hanging on fella how are you this afternoon just standing thank you good what's up what's your concern okay well i worked for the same place for eight years and three weeks before the end of 2018 which was like a couple of weeks before christmas I was called to the office and told that my employment was to end at the end of the month, mm-hmm. whereby I asked if I could have uh, a written notice and a reference so that I could seek further employment. And they basically told me, no, uh, we'll give you a record of employment uh, by the middle of the next month. And that was it. That was the extent of the conversation. I went back and continued my duties. After I left there, I did talk to the employment standard and lady. I told her the situation, and she says there's two no-nos in there. She says you can go for the what is the provincial minimum, but she suggested I take time and decide to get a lawyer. She says because a lot of times she's come across employers who just don't give a severance pay, and there there was never any mention of severance pay for me. And to this date, right. I have not received any. 
So I just wondering what, what I can do and what I should do. I'm 68 years old. Um, I do want to go back to work somewhere, but I've got to go into the hospital at the end of this month for a pretty serious operation. And I want to kind of address this before I go to the hospital. Smart, very smart. Yeah, very, very smart. And I have to say, Carl, in this situation, I'm very thankful to the Employment Standards Branch because yeah, it's right. not it's not often that the, an individual at the at the mm-hmm. ESB will tell you um, that you should go speak to a lawyer about your common law entitlements. And I'm certainly glad that they did. Um, if you, uh, three weeks before Christmas, were told that you were only going to be working until the end of December and that you yeah. weren't paid any severance at the end of that, yeah. you are absolutely without a doubt in my mind owed more money here and yeah, and not uh, yeah, yeah not just under the employment standards act but also under the common law that's yeah. that's going to be increased uh by the fact that you're 68 um by the fact that you worked there for eight years and also if you're facing a major surgery at the end of this month i imagine that that's made it difficult for you to interview with prospective employers um, yeah. You know, who uh, companies can't do this, but that doesn't stop them from being hesitant to hire somebody who is open or transparent about mm-hmm. needing a time off for a surgery in a couple months. Um, so, you know, I would say that you're probably looking at eight to 12 months of potential severance yeah. here. See, well, you know, to be fair, the, uh, nobody knew that I had to, I didn't even know I had to go into this for this operation until because. I, I went to a doctor, I think it was in February, and they did tests and MIRIs and all that stuff. But also, too, during my employment, I basically worked seven days a week. I didn't, somebody told me I was supposed to get um, stat holidays. I never did once in eight years get a stat holiday until April of 2018. I started getting two days off work. Then wow. somebody says, well, you're supposed to get stat holidays. And I says, well, I thought just the, the management got it. Okay, so this is, this is important because that is something that I, as a lawyer, cannot pursue for you civilly. I can help okay. you with an employment standards complaint, um, but with respect to stat holiday pay, if you've got any outstanding stat holiday pay, um, vacation pay, overtime pay, anything like that, that's a complaint that you want to lodge with the employment standards branch, and you need to do it within six months of uh, of your termination um, or the time that you weren't paid for this that holiday pay um, and I think you can argue that you know you were expecting to get paid all of that out on the day that you were terminated so six months from the date of your termination which I mean if you were terminated at the end of December we're now in June so that might put us over depending on when exactly your last day was so take a look at a calendar as soon as you're off the phone and see yeah. if you can see if you can launch an employment standards complaint uh, immediately but the the good news here Carl is that you know even though those are obviously unsavory you know unpleasant components to this whole claim you want to get everything that you were entitled to to get while you work there the fact of the matter is that you are entitled to more severance and you're entitled to substantially more severance than the three weeks, than the month of notice that you received. Um, so I, I really highly recommend that you give me a call off air and I'd be happy to help you uh, get what you deserve in the situation. Well, some time for you to, uh, to call through 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Email is help at employmenthour.com. 
And uh, I want to get into, uh, to I guess, the last point. We're talking about changes in the workplace, and you touched on this in the first segment. That is, if the employer isn't necessarily making a big announcement, you know, we're moving you from the top of BC down to the bottom. In fact, we're going to pitch you out to Winnipeg. Nothing like that. Or they're going from days to nights, or they're going to whop, you know, lop off 50% of your salary. But they're making small little incremental steps to chip away at someone's job. They're maybe taking a few hours a day. Maybe instead of five days a week, you're working four, and they're just – they're just chipping away at it. What do you do in that regard? And that happens so much more frequently than you would think. Yeah. And I and sometimes I think it's just because the employer doesn't really know what they're doing and they're just trying to save themselves pennies as things go along. Sometimes I think it's it's on purpose. It's strategic. They're trying to slowly chip away at it so that you don't really notice or you just sort of accept it as it goes. And I think that as soon as you start to have changes to your job, as soon as you start to, uh, you know, be in a situation where those little, those little, um, perhaps not incredibly essential in and of themselves terms are being changed. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got one job duty taken away, for example, or, you know, your, your office is taken away or, or something like that. It's, it's something that you want to start a conversation about. And it's something that you want to start a conversation about in writing um you know you want to be able to look be able to point to something that you did in the past to say this was not something that i agreed to this was not something that that i that i just accepted as being a slippery slope to all the changes that they wanted to make because that is what an employer could ultimately argue if you go along with these smaller changes as they continually progress the employer can argue that 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 essentially that the ability to slowly chip away at your job became a term of your employment that you accepted that once they started chipping away at it that you accepted it and then they could continue to do so such that if you were to take how it started and then a year and a half later with how it ended, how the job ends up, if you were to look at those two, they would be very, very different such that if that change all happened at once, you would absolutely be able to claim constructive dismissal. But if you allow that to happen without raising any objection to it or any concerns over that year and a half, that employer is going to be able to say, you let us do it. You let us do it step by step. And you know, how are we supposed to know that you object to this if you don't tell us? So in those situations, I recommend and every situation is going to be different, but I generally recommend that you know you say something to the effect of, "I'm okay with this. I'm okay with my office being taken away. I'm okay with working four days instead of five, but I would not be okay with with my job being taken away or with working two days instead of five. You know, you want to be clear on where those boundaries are. That you are accepting the change that's on the table now." but not to a pattern of changes. Um, and you know what, you might also want to ask if these kinds of changes are just temporary through a transition right. period right. or if they're meant to be permanent. You have every right to sit your company down to write them a letter and say, where are you going with this? You know, I've noticed that you've been kind of making these changes or having these conversations and no one's had a clear conversation with me about what this means or what my job looks like now or what the what the what the goalposts are. So can we talk about that? And importantly, can we talk about that in writing? Uh, you know, whether at all or or uh, primarily. That is something that you want to just at least start getting in writing so you've got your ducks in a row uh, in the event that 
you find yourself all of a sudden a year and a half later with a job that you no longer recognize and then you can say uh, I didn't agree to this and you've constructively dismissed me and you owe me severance well, I think a lot of the reason why situations like this, and I'm sure you can you can uh, back me up on this one, is the employer may not do it out of malice, but little things here and there, little here and there. You know, the employee generally says, you know, I want to be a, I want to be a team player, a good soldier, so we'll suck it up this time, maybe a couple, a few more. And like I said before, you know what? You're behind the eight ball. You haven't had anything in writing. You didn't say anything all along, and you're you know what? This thing turned around and bit me in the rear end in the end, and I was just trying to be a good guy. Yeah, that's almost, I actually think that's like 98% of the situations that we deal with yeah. here is that, and both of those things are true, John, the, the company's not acting in malice. They just, they don't want to make the big change because they still need you in the role, but something, you know, whether it be budget restrictions or an overall restructuring or a change in marketing plan, something is driving some element of change and they're trying to be as minimally as disruptive as possible. So they're doing as little as they can bit by bit. Um, you know, I think very few employers act maliciously in any regard, to be honest with you. I think that there are very few companies out there who are really out to get their employees. Um, you know, a lot of people feel that they are, but I think that a lot of it just comes down to companies not really uh, getting good legal advice. And so they just are trying to muddle through and do what they can. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the other the other side to that coin, the flip side to that is that you've got the employee saying, I'm not, I'm not going to raise a fuss here, right? I'm, I'm a com I'm a company man. I'm a company woman. Not going to be a squeaky wheel. I'm not exactly. Yeah. I'm, I don't, I don't want to give them a hard time. I can see that they're struggling from a business perspective. And so if they need me to work two hours less a day, mm. that's, that's something I'm willing to do for the company because I've got faith that the business is going to pick up. Right. But, the company is ultimately always going to be looking after itself first nope. and foremost. And so you as an employee also have to be looking after yourself first and foremost. And it may be true that in the moment, the company's intention is to restore you back to full hours a day, full days a week, once the business is better. But that is subject to elements that are outside of the company's control. And you can't control that as an employee either. So. Oh. If it doesn't recover, if the business doesn't recover and you don't make an objection, it doesn't, you don't have to hire a lawyer. It doesn't have to be adversarial. You don't have to write them a caps lock email that says, I object and don't you dare try to do anything to me again, a red font. Um, you know, but it, it is important to look after yourself, to, to let them know that you are either agreeing to this temporarily or you're even willing to agree to it permanently but no further changes or you know that further changes will have to be discussed on their own merits at the time that it comes up you you have to look after yourself get to a uh, an email here as we as we wind down don writes in again anytime it is help at employmenthour.com don says how many warnings does an employer need to give before they can terminate for cause Oh, I wish I had the answer to that. It's yeah, um, like a standard answer would be nice, right? Yeah, 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 and I'm sure a lot of employers would love to have an answer to that because there really is no golden rule in terms of the amount of warnings that an employer needs to establish just cause. Uh, but just cause is very difficult to prove, and that's especially true for the types of issues that usually give rise to warnings, uh, like performance issues or absenteeism or lateness. So generally what the employer needs to show, 
you know, I wouldn't even argue necessarily that it's the number of warnings that's important. It's the quality and content of the warnings that's important. Because what you need to show is that they've provided a clear warning okay. that the, that you are falling short of a standard, whether that's a performance standard or a standard of expectation with respect to uh, punctuality uh, or attendance, that you are falling short of a standard. This is what the standard is. This is how we are going to help you meet that standard. And a failure to meet that standard will result in a termination for cause. So I think that if the performance issues are bad enough, you could probably get away with, you know, two or three warnings if they are that clear um, in terms of terminating you for, for just cause. Also, depending, of course, on how long the employee has been there as well. If the employee just started working there, has been there for a year, you two to three warnings will certainly do it, uh, okay. in my view. I mean, not a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee when it comes to cause. Um, but I think that if you are a longer term employee, say you've been there for 18 or even, you know, 10 years, you're going to need more than, than the two or three warnings. Uh, the employer also needs to show that they gave you a sufficient time gotcha. to improve your performance. So they can't just say, you know, you've got, you, here's your warning on June 15th. You've got till June 30th to pick up your socks. Um, so, uh, Ultimately, there's no golden rule, but the employer has got a lot of homework to do before they can terminate you for cause. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.